Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Life is difficult. It's one of the first lines in Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. Yes, life can be difficult. And today, our guest, Bill Epperly, shows us how we can actually go within and find resources like compassion, resilience, and just a sense of well being. Bill's journey began as a PhD biochemist when he had a spiritual awakening that changed his life. His journey has been about healing, finding balance, and awakening. Traumas that he experienced as a child left imprints on his life and his ability to live easily in the world. He wrestled with anxiety, depression, and a lack of basic trust for most of his life. When he found this awakening and this mindfulness practice, his life was forever changed. Today, as a life coach in Chicago, he has learned to live mindfully and has found a way to creatively cooperate with life as it unfolds. It's been a never-ending path that has brought him great joy, radically new ways of living, and a sense of being a part of all of life, connected to it, and participating in the co-creation of tomorrow. Really excited to help take you from difficulties and challenge to a place where you can find this resource within. So join us on this episode of The Spark as we meet with Bill Epperly and find the way. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. What I love to start with in these interviews is asking you to share a little bit just about your own story, because you had a really interesting beginning, starting as a biochemist and kind of a little bit about your journey that got you into the work you're doing now, ignited this new passion in you. Can you share about that? Absolutely. One of the interesting things that happens over time is, as we think about our story, our understanding of it changes over time. When I think about it now, this is the short version. I've always been fascinated by ultimate questions about the nature of life and reality. And so when Mr. Woodside in ninth grade biology showed us the enzyme model of catalysis, I said, that's it. And I thought, this is going to be my key to understanding the nature of reality. I'm going to study about enzymes. And so I went on to get a PhD in enzymology, the biochemical approach to understanding life at an enzyme level. And in the middle of that, I started, I became interested in recovery. I went into 12 step and started to have kind of a spiritual awakening as they talk about in the 12 step programs. And then that led very quickly to uh, me becoming interested in going to talks and things. And one thing led to another. I found myself at a talk by David Steindelrast, who is a great contemporary spiritual teacher, Benedictine monk. He is now 94 years old, I believe, just celebrated his birthday, and he has boiled everything down to gratefulness. Anyway, on this particular night, he gave a talk, and in the course of that talk, 
I realized that I knew what God was within me, that I'd been connected to it all along, even through my agnostic phase, my atheist phase, my early seeking phase. It was such a natural experience that I had I had somehow been seeking out here for it, as we think we should. The ter- church teaches us, don't trust yourself, it's this other thing. And our whole society really teaches us that spirit or God is this other thing, teaches us to search outside. So the great book from the Google of Search Within Yourself from the Google executive. We have to search within ourselves. Anyway, in that moment, I realized I knew that reality. And in fact, I had sensed it in myself and outside myself. And I had, uh, actually during the talk and shortly after, a series of openings or recognitions that led to a brief phase of non-dual realization Now, uh, this is something in the middle of grad school that I was not prepared for. And I realized I'm done with biochemistry. The nature of life that I'm interested in investigating is at this subjective uh, experience that is uh, found through the mystical path, the spiritual traditions. And so my orientation changed overnight, and I went on to study Korean Zen Buddhism and other for very seriously for five years. And then after that, other forms, trying to, I was never happy with the idea that there was only one path. And so I've sought to integrate and syncretize as many different paths and teachings as I could over the year until they coalesced into a sense of a core teaching, which is where I am these days. And what is that core teaching for you, Bill? Oh, so it's very hard. It depends when I'm working with someone, what I share depends on where they're at because as my own development has gone through many stages, so everyone's development goes through many stages. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be appropriate to, to give someone the nugget they're going to need 20 years from now, just right now. What's important now is the nugget that helps you unlock the next level in your great Mario Brothers uh, video game <laughs> enactment of life. But for me, if since you asked the question, I see us, this is so simple, right? I see us as unlimited consciousness, awareness of the unlimited, unbounded infinity, the symbolized or represented by the starry cosmos above, all infinite possibility. And we are that in uh, showing up in and as this limited form. So we're the intersection of infinity and limitation, living out the life of the universe through my particular form, your particular form of one essence, but with billions of embodiments. And so life is just a process of living that out and following the unique path that each of us has and with the realization of our deep commonality. Beautiful. 
my goodness. And that's it. And I really, as a therapist and life coach, I also really resonate with what you're saying around it is it's, I loved your analogy of the Mario game because it's like, we do just keep leveling up and that, yeah, a lot of times the wisdom that might be the, like what you shared right now, which is absolutely amazing and expansive. And Mm -hmm. as I hear it, I go, Oh yeah, that's the truth that universal truth that you're speaking of and divine truth. I also think, uh, I I was thinking of a time when I picked up Gary Zukav's book, Seed of the Soul. Mm -hmm. And this is 20 years ago. And the first time I read it, I thought, this guy doesn't even know how to write. None of this is making sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like I'd read a sentence and go, yeah, I don't even, I don't get this. And I literally just Mm -hmm. put it back on the shelf and a year later pulled it out. And it was like everything made complete sense. It was as if I just wasn't ready to hear the message yet. And so I'm really hearing that and what you're sharing as well. Yeah, totally. And that, that breakthrough book that opened so many doors 10 years ago, we get a little longing, oh, I should go revisit that. And you might open it up and it's just all dead. Whatever nourishment there was in those words, you have received and metabolized. That's a certain kind of book. And then there are other books, if you're lucky, that you visit over and over the years. Some of my favorite poems, they just keep growing in the depth that they open out for us. But it is uh, very much, if we're lucky, and I've been very lucky in this way, who we are and what what feeds us spiritually, psychologically, even physically, changes over time. And that's part of the joy of continuing to learn. And it's part of the profound disorientation, too, of what am I? Am I a spiritual vegan now? Or the spiritual food that satisfies changes. And I think that's really an important note. And I do think oftentimes my experience in talking to a lot of people that, have, that are on the spiritual path, a lot of them have said maybe it started with religion Mm-hmm. And maybe that was their first orientation. And then they outgrew that model. It was like having the, at first, maybe as a child, that concept that felt really safe as the old man in the sky that's looking down and protecting us. And yet continuing to grow out of those models that can be very constrictive and being able to experience spirit in a much deeper way as they evolve through their own spiritual path. Yes, and this is one place where spiritual work and therapy overlap so beautifully. You have to keep investigating what the core beliefs are that the individual is using to orient their experience and to interpret their experience. And there might be a time when we're a child and everything, our brain isn't fully developed, everything being black and white and very concrete. And if there's God, then it, it seems like it would be a daddy in the sky or a mommy in the sky or a mommy daddy in the sky. But it's really hard to conceive of it in a more in a more nuanced way. And then, so we have to work with that. We have to work with what that is. But if you're uh, a 50 year old 
and still working with that model, then you might wonder what's happening. And just this weekend, I had a client who he came to a workshop and he said, I really wasn't looking forward to this investigation of the nature of God piece. But because he had, he was still operating, he had rejected those early childhood kinds of ideas, but he'd simply heard, never heard someone articulate something that would work for his modern scientific mind. And so when I started talking about a universal energy field that's also intelligent, that was language that really lit him up, that really resonated. So we have to be lucky to work with those core beliefs and let them transform as we do so that our understanding or so that the way we understand our experience can continue to grow. Bill, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share an experience during this journey for you. I think oftentimes people go, oh, people woke up and then they, from then on, they had this amazing life and everything was easy. Can you speak to challenges that you've gone through just in your own walk with this? Sure. Yes. It's an amazing life. And if you're lucky, if ever, if you're lucky, we'll all have an amazing life. But with that amazement can come periods of profound disorientation, confusion, we face our demons, we face doubts. So in grad school, I had that epiphany. I had that temporary initial realization. Oh my gosh, I'm one with everything. And, and it, what an expansive space. I remember zooming past the exit on the turnpike over and over again on the expressway. I was just zoned out. I was up in the stars, up in the clouds, not grounded in my body. And it was, it's a pleasant place, especially if your life is difficult to be up here. And so I had to find a way to come back in and face the mess of my life that had come from not living in complete alignment with my real purpose, with my real self. And there was a challenge there. <laughs> I, part of me just wanted to be up there. And I, I actually, when I was becoming interested in Korean Zen, I thought, I want to get enlightened as fast as possible. I want a stable realization. And I thought that meant getting out of here up to some place perfect. And I thought that enlightenment would be the perfection of the personality. And Luckily, I picked a very grounded practice and a very grounded teacher. We did a lot of physical practice, including prostrations and work practice, and found ways to start coming back down into the body with the spaciousness and openness of the awareness of infinity, with that awareness of emptiness, but finding that in every moment in cleaning the floor, in cleaning up my life, in cleaning up relationships. But that was a, that's an important polarity, really. Are you in your body? Are you embodied? And are you open to the transcendent? Some people are in their body, and they have closed off the doorway to infinity. 
because that's too scary. That's, I just want to be what mom and dad told me I am. And I want to be a Bears fan like they're Bears fans, etc. And that is, that's the other way people tend to either want to get up and out of here or to just remain in a grounded, limited existence. And living that polarity is quite challenging, quite disorienting at times, and exciting. And we know people too, Bill, that, that use sometimes when they're just having those kind of peak experiences, it can become a spiritual bypass, as you're saying. So they, they stop doing the work of being human because we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We do have to make sure we're doing, like you said, the work that's here now on, on this physical reality. And that does have to do with personality and ego and relationships and how we see ourselves in the world and we interact with others. So it, I think that's a really important point because a lot of people are like, yeah, my life is falling apart, but I'm blissed out. I remember a friend telling me about that there was a chance that this practice he was doing would actually cause his body to dissolve. And it was the, a Buddhist equivalent of being raptured away. And that was what he was all about. He wanted to get out of here. Now, why would someone want to get out of here? It's not an easy place to be, and that's true for everyone. Some of us have had childhood trauma. I'm, I'm in that group, and many of us are. And so we have lived experience of it not being a very safe place. So we have some ambivalence. We're not sure. And when this other realm opens, it's pretty appealing. And it's pretty appealing to want to get out of here. And I, I think in some ways, Western culture particularly teaches bypassing as the way. If Johnny's a smart boy, he learns in, in his, by sixth grade that the right answer is not necessarily the one that resonates for him. A teacher would never, when I was in school, say, what really resonates for you? There was a correct interpretation of Wordsworth's poem. And we, if we were smart, we learned the correct interpretation and almost pushed aside what our personal resonance with something like that might be. This tendency to dissociation, I think, feeds right in with the spiritual bypassing. Absolutely. And what I was just resonating with as you were talking about the educational experience for so many people, I can remember being in third or fourth grade and having the art teacher not like what I was turning in. It was like, no, we're going to draw trees and this is what trees look like. Trees don't have purple leaves. And the message, the subconscious message that I took from that is I'm not an artist. There are people yeah. that do art and I'm not an artist. And it took me decades to re-embrace that and to see myself. And I think each one of us is an artist. We mm -hmm. all have that, but we get this stamp of, yeah, this is how you do it. This is how you think, not what your inner expression is or your inner resonance or passion. Our world does teach us it's all outside of us. Mm -hmm. And it's the art of distraction or it's the art of self-medicating. And as you mentioned, the 12 steps, at, at one point in your life, were you self-medicating and, and 
doing that kind of distraction, if you will? Oh, yeah. And when I look back now, I believe that I had some childhood trauma that left me with a tendency to be very anxious, just a very anxious person. And so when I hit my teen years and all the teen anxieties come up, a beginning to own my unique uh, personality, as you, which you develop during your teen years, I turned to alcohol to help to uh, deal with the anxiety, the anxiety and uncertainty of everything that was happening. And so uh, that became a problem as it's want to do. And I went into 12 step really to help deal with that problem and get back on, on the path. And then, uh, but it Interestingly, it wasn't until years later that I could really own and accept that there was some childhood trauma there beneath all of that. It was such a difficult thing in myself to face that I would get glimmers of it. But I was like, no, I, I really can't deal with that. That is something that other people have to deal with, not me. And yeah, that was self-medication is one of my tendencies. I think, as you pointed to, we all have our natural tendencies, whether it's uh, shopping or eating or drinking or meditating or hiding out in relationships. And it's so understandable, again, because being in the body is not easy. And we need, what does T.S. Eliot say? Uh, human beings cannot bear too much reality. Mm. We can be compassionate to ourselves, I think, with our inability to face everything we're, that's coming at us. And especially in a year like this, everything that's coming at us is so much that is very understandable. So even to use spirituality as a kind of hideout or a way to anesthetize or zone out is very understandable. And it's not a bad thing if you can eventually bring it back around. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is there's what we would put, quote unquote, socially acceptable ways of self-lubricating. Mm -hmm. And when I shared, I, I did a presentation at the Spark Summit last October that I put on here in Fort Collins. And one of the things I shared is that I didn't even realize that my addiction, I never thought of myself as an addicted person, but it was actually shopping. And it was shopping in a way I thought, oh, I'm, I shop at thrift stores. I, I get things super on sale. That's not a problem for me. But what I realized is in Buddhism, when they talk about the Shempa like the urge coming up, we have this urge, like I've got to fix something and maybe I really don't want to feel this feeling. Mm -hmm. If I was being really hard on myself or not feeling too good instead of sometimes dealing with it without even realizing it, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, get a few things at Ark Thrift Store. And so what was interesting about it though, what I finally realized my connection to that was my mother was a businesswoman, very busy. And so the times that we spent alone that were special were shopping. So I actually equated shopping to nurturing. Mm -hmm. There was like this nurturing component. And once I realized that, I was able to really start working on that. I think sometimes we're like, okay, I'm a spiritual person or I've got these issues. And instead it's no, we have this duality 
in who we are. Again, totally. you know, spiritual people and also having this human experience and having to deal with thoughts, feelings, situations, whatever it is in our circumstances. And like you just spoke of, and this pandemic that has really brought people, some people to the end of their being at times mm-hmm. and really forcing people to go inward and do some deeper work. Yes, and as we grow, we can look back and see the wisdom. Our, that was our wisdom expressing itself in self-care through shopping, the way that you knew, the way that was modeled for you that was available. And for me to see self-care through drinking, and that was wisdom seeking, seeking ease for me, seeking a moderation, And it's very understandable. It's not, but at that time, and so many people in 12-step at the beginning of their journey anyway, they see things very black and white and this is good and drinking is just evil or drinking is bad and drinking is not good, but I'm not, but if you can see yourself through more of a loving window and see the wisdom that was expressing itself, making the very best choice that you could possibly know. And then that same wisdom, because as you connect to the wisdom, the wisdom is going to be with you for your whole life. And it's basically going to be selecting the very best path you can find your whole life. And so it's about making a whole series of imperfect decisions from the first partner that was maybe going to be your love forever. For most of us, that turns out to be short-lived, but it was sure important for what we learned at the time. And then the first, for me, the first career And then the second career, and I'm on what, my fifth or sixth career, and each career has been appropriate because it gave me an opportunity to develop an aspect of myself, to grow in a certain way, and then it became limiting. And it was time to let it go and see what wanted to unfold next. And that's the way, so the wisdom It's so important to identify with that wisdom and not get too hung up on the fact that all the choices in the world of form are imperfect choices. There is, there's perfection as an idea in the limitless now, but all the embodiments are somewhat limited. And so we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be too surprised, even though it's painful to realize that. Yes. And I appreciate you sharing that so much. I I find myself saying to my clients often, you can't punish yourself for yesterday's decision with today's knowledge. Love that. As we continue to grow and also as you're saying that, I love that idea of that wisdom has always been with us, expressing itself in these different forms and maybe it's our capacity to really listen to it as well. As we open up those channels and continue to heal within ourselves, my sense is that we are able to glean more and more or hear more and more of that wisdom coming through. So we do hopefully continue to try to make more choices that are in alignment with that 
Yeah, I, I see life through a developmental lens that we develop, if we're lucky, through a number of developmental stages, each being richer, more all-embracing than the previous, and ultimately each having some limitation to it. And so when you're a small child, it's appropriate to have more black and white thinking, and it's very hard. You can't really think symbolically. Psychologists tell us till around age 10 or 12 when formal operations comes online, and then we can think symbolically. So it's what's available. You work with the cognition, the feeling, the affect that's available at each stage of life. And then the other thing is that Going through those transitions, those growth spurts, is profoundly disorienting. And so often they coincide with changing job or maybe changing partner, or they coincide with really major stuff that takes some time to really metabolize, internalize, process. So in a way, there's something in us that loves the growth and change, and there's something that loves the plateau periods once you've reached a new state where you're like, oh, this is just so great. And I just want to oh, feel this new spaciousness and oh, I can enjoy. I'm really in the present moment now. I can't tell you how many times I felt, wow, I'm really in the present moment now. That previous present moment was so not present moment, but this is it. And then you just want to stretch out into that and luxuriate and explore it and be it and do it. And then, lo and behold, the next invitation can start to come. And if, if we're lucky, we can answer that invitation and grow into a next stage. But if, if, if our life situation demands that we keep maintaining a certain income or that we not create waves within our, our cultural microculture, then it could be extremely hard to grow beyond a certain level. And I think that the cost of that growth, again, wisdom knows if we're able to really go all in on that or not. When I was a young man, I was fairly cavalier. I, I finished my PhD and I wasn't even going to do any work as a biochemist. I was just going to leave that behind and be a Zen monk for a while. And uh, as a 59-year-old, I'm more aware of what the cost will be of making a, a snap decision like that. I'm happily married, I'm happily established, and so there's that both the invitation of a stage change and the challenge of it. Your support means the world to us. Hi. It's Dr. Natalie Phillips from Connecting a Better World. Everything we do here at NOCO FM is member-supported. From the music we play to our original podcasts and live shows, all of that costs money to produce, and we can't do it without you. Become a member today and invest in the programming you enjoy so we can create more together. Learn more at noco.fm. Listen to the stories the Black community is telling. Hesitate to respond as you normally would and really listen. 
It's time to amplify their voices and show up for them. Black Lives Matter. your thoughts for people that are really struggling right now with some of that unknown. I think that the pandemic also bringing a lot of uncertainty and people struggling with expansion out here. What is that going to look like? Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of, you know, what I'm hearing you say is we, we can feel really good even if we get ourselves, let's say, really grounded and centered right now. And then our brain struggles with this sense of the unknown. And that can oftentimes put people into a state of anxiety because our brain loves predictability. It loves routine, loves to assimilate information so we don't have to think about it too hard. So I, I guess I'm curious, what are your thoughts about how to guide people? Yeah, totally. I, I, a, a couple things. You just... You, Number one, go back to the fundamentals. What are you eating? How much are you sleeping? And are you getting some exercise? What's your self-care program look like? So important. It's boring, let's say, but it's these are the fundamentals. And what are you doing to take care of yourself? It all starts there. And then number two, finding ways to connect with other humans. All the research, all the psychological research, but we know this from our lives too, says that humans are so relational in our lives and we need relationship. It's a secret vitamin connection. Love we it. need relationship or we start to degrade. So how are you going to find a significant relationship during this time? Some people are, so I'm teaching a lot of meta loving kindness practices and other ways to connect online via zoom like we're doing today and there is you can connect right at all if you think of head heart and hara or dantian or belly you can connect at all three levels on online and it's so important to connect at the heart level with people so finding ways to do that through uh, loving kindness meditations, through heartful conversations, through being in a meditative space with other people, it's just, it's just so important. Then I think if you can, limiting your intake of social media, which our brain loves novelty, it loves stimulation, it loves information. We believe that the information is going to make us feel safer and more control, but it just doesn't. And I just don't think when, as an organism, as my biology comes in, as an organism, when you receive a stimulus, you have to respond. If you receive a stimulus that's frightening, you respond by closing down or attacking or you have to respond and there's so much we can read about online that there simply is no response to there's simply no significant empowered response 
to so much of what's happening. We become frustrated. We become, we feel unempowered. We feel disillusioned, feel fearful quite naturally. I think limiting our intake. Then the final thing I'd say is to investigate where your passion really is. What really makes you come alive? And as uh, Frederick Buechner's quote goes, something like, to find where your greatest passion and the world's need intersect and to make a life for yourself there. That may mean just going back to what you've already known about the, the profession you're in. I heard a Harvard psychologist, Daniel Brown, speaking about how medical doctors would often, they would do this investigation and they would remember, they would recall the passion they had and the sense of calling to their medical career. And recalling that and renewing it and re-enlivening it reminds us of why we're doing this. We may be doing the work that we should be doing, but we've, we may have lost the connection to that. Other times, what that is changes with time. And we can, our passion and our, our alignment is a moving target that draws us forward. And so there might be some course adjustment required, especially if we've, if we've fulfilled, say, the, the kids are all successfully launched. Now it's time, in some cases, to find a new purpose for the next period of years. So that seems like a lot. I think the question is, is there one of those that's a low-hanging fruit for someone that suggests a place to start? I was taking notes the whole time you were talking <laughs> because I, I think these are, are really great. And I love this thing about where your greatest passion and the world's needs intersect. That's just right out of what color is your parachute, but it's such a great quote that has really become meaningful for me over the years. Beautiful. I mean, want to reiterate that thing about limiting your intake of social media. Mm -hmm. You know, I have so many clients that they pick up their phone first thing in the morning or last thing at night to listen to the news or watch the news or get the headlines. And that doesn't serve us at all. And how important it is. Yeah. Imagine if you spent that time instead in meditation or prayer or in a place where you're just bringing uh, gratitude or, as you were saying, doing a loving kindness meditation. What a game changer. I think for many of us, it's humbling, but the place that we have the most influence in the world is so close to home or maybe through our work. If we're lucky, we feel that our work is an expression of our passion and that we're doing what we're here to do through our work. And then to really limit what we take in beyond that, because it is just unempowering and frustrating and leads to madness. What do you think, Bill, was the most helpful for you, like as, as far as a practice or something that you did that helped you open up to that guidance? There have been a couple things I would say. Meditation has been super helpful for me, just super helpful to work with the anxiety and to get in my body. And then also therapy. I was uncomfortable using words. How can I talk about this reality in words. Mm. And 
And how can I be in relationship with people? One of the things I hoped Zen would solve all my relationship problems. And I had to be willing to get into that messy world of relationship at a new level to really dive into it. So I think those are two things that have been keys for me. More recently, I'm more impressed by the power of the various somatic approaches that help us directly get into the body, whether it's a meditative gateway or more of a body-based gateway, like somatic experiencing and other things that I, or Qigong, that I have integrated into my mindfulness classes to really get into the body. Yeah, I love Qigong. Just, I, I remember one morning um, I had done it with a friend of mine and he said he went to work and everybody was like, what's going on with you? You just seem really happy. And it was literally like his energy was vibrating at a different level. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love one of the things you're saying too, Bill, is that there's so many different modalities that help us to continue opening up. I think mm-hmm. of it myself as being, I want to be a conduit for that divine energy to come through to the world. So it's continually, how do we continue to clean out the conduit, right? How do we continue to heal and open up so that we can receive those messages and help bring it through? Totally. And as you're speaking, the simplest answer to your question is mostly, I think I've learned to listen to myself through trying to listen to myself and trial and error, really. And I would say by having a good listener to companion me along the way, because these little, I don't know, there's something about that isn't feeling right moments. That's the key moment or that, I don't know, something's suggesting that I do this. And we're operating at that level all the time, just following hints and hunches and intuitions. Or I know it sounds like a great way to go, but it doesn't feel like my way. And so we get tons of practice in life and we get to find out the ones that you have to live with. And you're like, oh, why did I ever do that? You can look back and see why you did it and then learn not to do that the next time. So I think as somebody said, in, in, when asked what is enlightenment, he said, one mistake after another, <laughs> but, but we can hope to learn from every, every mistake. And rather than a mistake, like you said, don't let your current self punish your former self. Every mistake is just an opportunity to grow. It reminds me of Wayne Dyer. We shared a story about this guy who walked down a street and fell in a big hole. And the next day he comes back and he knows the hole's there, but he falls in again. Mm -hmm. And then the next day he comes back and he sees the hole and he walks around the hole. And then the final day he takes a different street. So I feel like that's literally sometimes how we have to learn some of these life lessons. And now the neurobiology helps us understand why that's so, that the established neural pathway is not easy to let go of. It is the superhighway that we know. And this is not a conscious decision. It's just, that's how you get there. You take the highway. 
And so that first time we are literally like bushwhacking a new path and it's laborious and it takes a lot of energy and yeah, it's rewarding, but in a tired moment or a not so great moment, we go right back down the old street and pretty soon we're sitting at the bar with a drink or out shopping or whichever is our go-to release valve. So it's it's very understandable and we need to have compassion for that and keep bushwhacking the new paths so that they become the new normal. That's just it, right? Because we're such habitual beings and that's how our brain functions. Mm. So to be able to know that as we do the bushwhacking, we continue to practice this different way of being, eventually that will become the new normal. We will have the neural pathway that says, no, I do it this way. Yeah. That's when we take the other street. Taking the other street and kind of the promise of waking up is this idea of freedom that in the moment there's enough spaciousness and enough disconnection from our old hang-ups and habitual paths that in the moment we can wisely, compassionately respond to each moment. That's the promise always imperfectly realized as we all are subject to our neurobiology, but we can experience that more and more. I remember so eating and drinking were both favorite hangouts of mine when I didn't feel good. There became a point where I'd go into the 7-Eleven and just say, why are you here? There's nothing for you here. And I would just walk out the door again. And maybe that's walking around the, the hole in the street. And that started to happen on a certain day, on a certain year of my life. And then maybe it was I pulled into the parkway for the parking lot for the 7-Eleven, but I didn't have to go inside. And then eventually you're just driving by it. But to be with that whole process, it's the adventure of a lifetime in the mundane and the extraordinary moments. So I think, again, an important point of just embracing where you're at in the moment, you know, for our listeners and really honoring our process in the now. And there's no, I should be, quotes around that. I should be something other than where I am at right in this moment. And that from this place, we can continue to open ourselves up to what you and I have been talking about, to really seeking a new path if that's what we need to take. And to really experience, try to open ourselves up so we are experiencing divine guidance. We're more aligned with our divine purpose. And that happens through the present moment, not beating ourselves up from what road we didn't take in the past or trying to get too worried about what's going to happen in the future, but really bringing ourselves right here, that this is the point of power. Exactly. So Bill, as we're wrapping up for today, what is the essential message that you want to leave with listeners? What would that be? It sounds very simple, but I think it's that Trusting yourself is just so important. Just developing a real sense of trust is always a key. And when you are wanting to wonder, why did I make that choice? You can ask yourself, why did I make that choice? And uh, then having compassion for yourself and the choices that we made, because there's always a good reason why we're making them. If you can find the wisdom that is behind all your choices, then it opens up 
that pathway to following your wisdom as it shows up moment to moment and following your in uh, your own intrinsic wisdom and compassion, that is the path. And that path shows up in all the most mundane ways. Every moment of the day, we're uh, in touch with our guidance potentially, or we're ignoring it. And if you're ignoring it, then you say, why am I ignoring it? So just, I think just looking for that thread, which will guide you forward, pull you forward. Bill, thank you so much. Where do people find you if people wanted to get a hold of you or were interested in your life coaching? People can find me online at billepperly.com or at integralawakenings.com. Those are my two sites. And how do you spell Epperly? Epperly is E-P-E-R-L-Y. This has just been such a joy, Bill. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with all of us. Stephanie, it's really been a pleasure. I've so enjoyed it. I feel like one of the powerful takeaways I took from this interview is about finding where your greatest passion and the world's needs intersect. I think we all have these gifts inside of us. We have something that we can share and something that we can give that can really help contribute to the healing of not only ourselves, but the world. And as we ignite those things within us, it gives us energy, it gives us purpose, it gives us passion. And it's so exciting then to actualize that within yourself and then to be able to share it with other people and see how it lifts them up, see how it impacts them and their lives. So I also loved the duality of our human experience, that we are spiritual beings having this human experience. And when we connect with that inner side of ourselves, and when we connect with that God within, however we define that, we start realizing that we too have unlimited resources, that we are full potential. So my greatest joy in listening to this is that this is accessible for all of us, regardless of religion, regardless of race, financial situation. We all can actualize this divine sense within. And this is our growth point. As we begin to realize this, it truly begins to heal us from the inside out. And so we can see these beautiful things manifesting in our lives, and we can then really help others to get in touch with what their gifts are. I truly believe this is one of the ways we heal the world. And I invite you to start exploring your own personal journey and allow the healing to begin. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. 
If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.